0: five, let's say, five sessions together, what I hope to attempt to clarify and achieve in those five sessions is to somehow give over a methodological approach to teaching Gomorrah. I'm going to go through it in a series of stages, and the tools that I'm going to give over are by no, by no means absolute. But the process of developing a tool set that allows you to be able to explain clearly to a Talmud how the Gomo is working, I think is an invaluable asset. So even though you may choose not to do what I've said at all, but it may be valuable just even as a contrast to know what it is and then to move and develop your own style. Because not all styles are the same and not all people work the same way. But in other words, I'm not telling you anything absolute, but... Hopefully it will be productive for you to see it and understand it and gain from it. Let's begin in the beginning. The beginning is we are confronted with a limud that we learn Gomorrah and we spend most of our time learning it and Cloudy Israel has spent most of their time learning it for the last odd, almost 2,000 years. So the obvious question, the obvious question, this is a question I'm sure we've all asked ourselves time and time again, is why do we learn Gomorrah? Um, the tour is vast. Welcome. In those few minutes that you, you missed, we just discussed how to make a golem. Pity you missed it. Okay. So, what we're discussing is. Welcome. Lovely to have you here. <laughs> we're discussing uh, how, to, how to teach Gomorrah. But before you start on how to teach Gomorrah, let's ask ourselves a fundamental question and say, well, why do you learn Gomorrah? There's plenty of stuff to learn. <laughs> that happens to be a shast. But we'll find other Svarim. That also happens to be a shast. We'll find Svarim which aren't Gomorrah, and we'll say, well, why, why in the world do we spend most, certainly quantitatively, invest in Gomorrah? Now, there's two possibilities. The one possibility could be because we want to... Um, get your ideas now if you ask me if i want to accumulate your ideas and i would have a given amount of time to learn to learn so open up a mishnah so open up a rambam and in the same amount of time that you would have spent invested in gomorrah in the space of say two years you can have shas i don't know at your fingertips but a really strong sense you'll, you'll have most of shas three years, four years maybe five years. You go thoroughly through Shas Mishnahis and all the ideas will be at your fingertips. Certainly you do the same with the Rambam. So if the goal of Limud Gemara is to get ideas, so you're using the wrong thing. It's just holding you back. It's frustrating the process. Elamai, the goal of, of, of Limud Gomorrah is something else. It's, it's a parish so on then, Torah so then learn the Chumash of Nefor It will be clearer. The connection will be much clearer. So why Bichlal do we learn Gomorrah? It's, it's, it's a basic, basic question, and it's a question that you have to ask yourselves, and possibly when you're teaching a Talmud, if he's not clear about what he's doing, the chances of you inspiring him are very, very small. He thinks that he's wasting his time, and you're teaching him his diktukim, his gefald and he says, but I don't care. So what you want to do is you want to create a Ratzon that, wow, this is something that's important. This is something I should do because if that ratzon is lacking, so then with the biggest chidushim, you don't get anywhere. So why learn Gemara? Let's think historically what happened. You've got Torah; it's given on Har and Torah is given in two forms: Torah Sav and Torah Shabbalpeh. And Torah Shabbalpeh is coming to explain Torah Sav because Torah Sav is a completely cryptic document. It says things which, if you understand them on the literal level, you'll come out with a religion which has no resemblance to Judaism at all that we know it's a shocking thing to say but you could say it in the following way the Jews do not believe in the Bible <laughs> it says in the Bible an eye for an eye a tooth for a tooth touches eye. And so what means so Shimon goes over to Ruvain he takes his right index finger and he thrusts it into Ruvain's eye curls it around rips out his eye comes in front of base, basin you've got these three dayanim they're sitting there with their long beards, and um, the ADM open up Shimon's hand and they see the eye of Ruvain there. Apart from the fact that they saw the Misa. So now they say, look, wait to break this to you but, you have. And then they say to Shemin, okay, put your hands behind your backs, come Ruvain. and Ruben's have a hard time aiming, because now he's only got one eye. taches ein and clearly an eye for an eye doesn't mean an eye for an eye. And pre uh, creates hard is completely indescript. So, if you don't have the about pair, there's no way in the world you can grasp the Turbic South. It. It's a that's in the basic and most um, simple level, but of course, it goes much deeper than that. And the, essentially, the Jews do not believe in the Bible without the tertiary, but our will pay the tertiary is completely and totally cryptic. It's, it's, it won't be a useful document for us, it's not a useful document for us, and therefore, it's perfectly acceptable to let. The nations of the world read the King James Bible and be absolutely confident that they'll come to no level of knowledge of Torah whatsoever, and they can. You're following me? So you need, historically, of have the Torah Baal Pair, which explains the Torah Shavik and this is giving down Baal Pe. Baal Peh oral. That means mouth. Mouth is no text. It's to write it down. Generation after generation after generation, he gets to the generation of Rabbi Huda Nasi. He sees that things are getting really tough. There's a threat to the Masoera. Things could get lost. And the breakdown between Rabbi and Talmud, things are looking really, really drastically bad. So he makes a hugely bold decision. He says, Do You know what? I'm going to be Oyvan Issudaraisa, and I'm going to take the church of Alpe, and I'm going to write the Dambic Sav which is a bold step, he had the of all the Chachamim, he went and he did it. And he took all the pieces of al Pe, which explained the Tereshova Iksad, and he created what we know as Shas, Shish, Sidre, Mishnah, and that forms the basis of the al Alper, the Valdic. 200 years later, in those 200 years, there was an enormous amount of discussion which revolved around these Mishnahis, and Ravina Ravashi put together something called the Gemara, the Talmud. And what they did was, they collected every piece of discussion that occurred in the Bakti Medrashas of Bavl, and they arranged them according to Mishnahis, as well as adding in their own interpretations. So now we have something which is a set called the Talmud, and it's made up of Mishnah and Gomorrah, which forms what we have in front of us called Talmud Bavli. Great. So Now we know that we need, we need this thing, we need this Toshua pair. And we needed to explain the Toshibiq Sav, but there's a few cryptical things within it. And the following thing is as follows When Rabbi of Nasi decided to write down the Mishnah, how did he do that? Number one, what is the function of the Gemara? And the most basic question is we all have in front of us, and the shelves are filled with books. And yet we still, seemingly erroneously, continue to refer to the Toshibal pair. Why don't we grow up and just admit it's Toshibiq Sav? <laughs> on paper, it's written down the Torah that is in writing so the Torah today, is in ter- it's Torah we're making a very simple error, there is no grow up, there's no such thing as Torah anymore, it's all Torah so why don't we just bite the bullet and say, you're right, Torah got lost it, got, it would have been forgotten so we shifted we shifted Torah and we made it into Torah not a good idea, but we did it anyway would that be an accurate statement? Absolutely not. The Torah Al Pair today is alive as the Torah Baal Pair always was. And the Torah Al Pair will always be Baal Pair. And before I go into Arambam and Rashi, I would like to speak to you about a guitar lesson. I went for my first guitar lesson and until now it's been my only guitar lesson and therefore I wouldn't at this point suggest that you hire me for any upcoming gigs uh, so I go and sit opposite this person he's been to Berkeley School of Medicine he's a not School of Medicine sorry that wouldn't help School of Music and he's, he's learned he not only plays guitars and understands music but he makes guitars he's a great teacher so I sit down with him I think within one hour I'm going to walk away from this lesson I'm going to be able to play better than the most skilled guitarist in the world. So he's sitting there and he looks at me and I look at him and he says, I want to teach you the first lesson about guitar. I'm all ears. i want to know how to play guitar. The first lesson about guitar is there is no guitar. So I think to myself, I want my money back. The <laughs> only problem is I wasn't paying him. But had I paid him, I would have wanted my... There's no such thing... As what do you mean there's no such thing as a guitar? He said to me, the music is in your head. The skill is in your fingers. You're using the guitar as a vehicle for expressing something which is elsewhere. It's not located, it's not in the guitar. It's in your ear. It's in your mind. The guitar just is a way of utilizing it. So I think before we begin learning about Gomorrah, we have to realize one most basic and fundamental point. There is no such thing as a Gomorrah. And I'll bring you two eyes. First Ray is Rashi. It's a Gemara in Brochus, Mem with base. And the Gemara gemar has a series of definitions of what's defined as an amarit. And the last definition is in Achayim amarit. So a person was kara, that means he knows mikra, he knows Chumash. He was Shana, he knows Mishnah. So if I was given the text of the Gemara Lode, the conclusion I would come to is, "Shimish Talmud Echachamim means you go and you hang around the Talmud Chacham. It doesn't mean limud. It means apprenticeship. When you become an apprentice to someone, you don't go and learn. He doesn't give you a lecture. If you want to become an apprentice to a tailor, what you have to do is you go to the tailor's shop and you go there the first day and you say to him, Right, what should I do? He says, make me some tea. So, make him tea, and then he says, okay, "What should I do next?" He said, "Well, you can sweep the floors." And he you say, "You're urging. You want to learn. You want to learn how to how to sew." So, what can I do next? Well, you can bring me that material. But in the course of time, through hanging around the tailor, you start to get a feel and a sense of how things work, and then you start to hop. And the truth is, after being an apprentice and hanging around him, and then he says, "Yeah, won't won't you sew this and won't you cut this?" And in the course of time. You just, through osmosis and through being around him, you pick up, you chap what it means to be a tailor, which you can't really grasp if you would say to you and give you a lesson on, okay, the first thing you have to know when you're a tailor is this, then this. You have to be around him. You have to, you have to suck in what he's doing just through a thousand of different experiences over the course of time. So that's called shimush. So shimush talmide chachame means, it doesn't mean that you go and you learn from a talmud chachame and you sit in his chair. It means you go to his house and you see how he talks to his wife and how he goes for a walk in the street and you make him tea and you eat with him and you, and you, you sleep around him and you see how he works. So when I see that the person whose Chorah is not Shemesh Tamidah Chachamim I know he's a person that he learned Mishnayis and he learned Chumash and he knows it but he hasn't gone and hung around with the Tamid Chacham. Correct? Correct? This is an interac- semi-interactive. semi-interactive. Mo warned me that you're English. And that I shouldn't expect any kind of visible facial reactions or emotions being displayed. So, I'm, I'm happy to say that you're living up to my expectations. <laughs> uh, I, w- I will try to cut down on my emotional expression. Sometimes it's harder. I am part of the Commonwealth, but not completely. So, so Rashi says, "Loishim istam lechokhemim Ha 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 ha! It doesn't matter. We've got a pinya. This cross out Rashi. We've got a Gemara. What you're writing instead of Rashi? Why did Rashi might see the Gemara Pshutai? He says that Shemesh Tamid Chamim is called the Gemara, and then he explains why. And he says Hatzliya Besvarish, Ahuyunaisim Medivera Mishnah Tam, Voi Misazvim Yachad V'Oiskim B'Kach. V'hi Dugmas HaGemara SheSidu Hamorayin. So Rashi teaches that Shimush de Dechachamim is the Gemara that we have in front of us. That completely transforms everything. It now means that this is no longer a text. That the Amoraim are not saying, okay, we're going to give you a share. They're going to say, come. Come into our base, matrix, come and watch what we do. And when you see what we do, so then we'll do this and we'll do that, and we'll, we'll even have included in our descriptions some of the things we actually did physically but watch the way we work and if you watch the way we work then you'll hump it so you can do it yourself now the Rambam the Rambam says Yichas Talmud Torah Aleph Yud Aleph Nimud Ah V'shish So Toresh B'ksav Toresh Mishnah Sorry Mikra, Toresh Mishnah, now what he should say is, Vishlish Gemar, or Vishish Tommel Chomim. Vishish Yovin Vyaskil Achis Dovami Reishisoi. Yovin Vyaskil, so okay, we can beam a dyke in the round, but that's not what we're trying to do now. I'm just giving you a marshal there's Havana, there's Haskola, achis dover mi so what the tachlis is from the beginning, v'yoitzi dover mi apply it, v'yida me dover le do comparisons, evaluation, v'yodin b'midoshia, turn in directions, ad sh'yeda hechu ikra hamedoshia, hech yoitzi haosba until you can actually come to synthesize all this cognitive effort into haloch halemaisa, ben midvarim shilomad m'p'yashmo, v'inyan zeer hua nikra Talmud, that's called Talmud, not the Shas on the shelf is called Talmud. Talmud is not a text. Talmud is a process. It's a way of thinking. So if a person goes, and you can imagine how a person can be an or in Guns Shas. Because the person goes and says, How many black do you know about says, I know the whole of mistakes, the suburb pe. In fact, I know the whole of Noshimbao. In fact, I know Noshimb. I know everything Baal Pe. Absolute Amma. That's called because if you take the Gemara as a text, you're missing the Ica point of what the Gemara is trying to do. What the Gemara is trying to do is giving you a machalach, a It's teaching you how to think. It's not teaching you information. And that's back to our original question. Is why do we learn Gemara? Why don't we open up a Rambam? We'll get all the ideas from the Rambam. Save ourselves so much time. Cut down to two years imagine that one of those big sea every two years it would be a festive thing. Why do we bother in going into all these shackling and tires and these havaminas and then we reject the havaminas?? Because the point is we have to be mashamish Tam Khham, so we can become, we can <laughs> be- what they' are doing, and then we can do it without them. There is no Qatar and there is no Gomorrah. There's a means and a thought process that we have to learn out. So imagine the tragedy of people that spend years learning, and you say to them, Okay, and I want you to apply the thought methodology you've gained from the Gemo, and they say, um, What do you mean? So I say, Okay, give me a contemporary example of a Minoani Miri. What do you mean? Minoani is in the page of Shasta. No, it's not. Someone says to you, No, smoking is unhealthy. So you say, Minoani Bring me a good macor to tell me that. So it's, ah, stay. a famous in uh, Doctors Weekly. But in other words, the, 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 the way the Gemara, and this is what we'll try to work out, the way the Gemara flows and the way that things work are standard cognitive skills that we have to incorporate into our way of thinking. And if we don't succeed in doing that, so then we push it waste, no, wasting. We're not maximizing our time with the learn Gemara, and we're not using Gemara for what it's meant to be used for. Uh, not so long ago, I bought a, a book. It looked interesting. It said, A Hundred Ways of Teaching Thinking Skills. So I thought, look, I, I teach, so this would be interesting to me. So I opened up this book, and I went through skill after skill after skill. There, until now, I think I've gone through most of them, there isn't a single skill, a thinking skill, that you don't learn if you learn, learn Gomorrah properly. Classification, categorization, evaluation. Whatever you want, it's all there. That means this is the most sophisticated medium of imparting to us the capacity to think clearly and thoroughly. And if we don't use it, it's mamish abrocha al Okay, that's introduction. All satisfied with introduction. You're all, you all with me. Why we should learn Gemara? None of you like want to leave and go to Mishnah at this point in time. Chumash go here, Rabbi you all comfortable staying in the basement. So, so now we've got the basic... We have to... So now, okay, good. Step one. So now we have to use the Gemara as a module for teaching us how to think. So it's a shift. So now what we have to do is when we see a sugya, granted, of course, of course, the information contained in the sugya is valuable. But really what we want to come out with, because the information is also contained in the Rambam, so what we want to come out with is how the Gemara processes, it, processes the information. Good. So now I'd like to introduce you to, and, okay, so now, now this, you're going to have to forgive me. I'm a little bit handicapped over here, um, in a few ways. First of all, I have a South African accent, which I apologize for in advance. Uh, secondly, my experience has been primarily with teaching, when I say primarily, I mean completely, with teaching, <laughs> with teaching by lecture which means they're coming from a different background, and therefore the focus has been taking my role in the place where I teach. Is it, it, I've got different roles, um, but in terms of teaching, it's teaching people learning skills. So the way I've developed the method is to appeal to a person that is not yeshivish. So I apologize extremely advanced. I haven't yet come up with an equivalent yeshivish model because I haven't needed to. Um, I'll try put in I'll try to distort some of the things that I've done and add a little bit of Yiddish Sharon there but I can't promise it will be that convincing so just bear with me and go with the, this model but it doesn't matter because it may, will hopefully be helpful to you as well so now let's think about it so now we need to know the method of thinking and now how do you approach a text and we'll see that actually we can extend this approach not only to a text but we'll extend it to life itself there are I would like to suggest just as an aside informal we have got this from it's it's put in in a nice cutie package but uh, Baruch Hashem for you I haven't made it up myself what happened was um, about a very long time ago when I was young and carefree I was also extremely frustrated with Gemara Mm. Because I felt that I couldn't properly express what was going on. And I went through a period of learning BU and getting frustrated, then I learned I was in the mirror, I learned the daff for a long time and I felt absolutely liberated. At long last. You learn, you know what you're going in for, you finish at the end of the, at the end of the month, you write a test, you get good marks, and you get what a relief. And then after a period of time I got completely disillusioned I don't understand a single thing I'm learning and then I kind of progressed to understanding and learning. And then, simultaneously, as I went through that progression, I also started teaching. So I went on this mission to try to find ways which were suggested by the different Sifra Khalim, how the, how the Rishonim Achronim tell you to learn Gomorrah. So I spent quite a bit of time researching the Sifra Klalim. There are a few fundamental ones. There's a beautiful little booklet called Daikebe Khalia Gomorrah. It's printed by this. Um, kind of and it's actually fantastic. So a lot of what I've done is taken directly from there, but all I've done is I've just packaged it it in a way that it's easy to understand for um, a beginner Gomorrah student. Okay? So this is how we start. There are three pillars, three foundation points of textual understanding. That means, when you have a text in front of you, so if you're a thinking person, Moshle Mahagavadoymeh, When you start any new skill and you want to be trained in it, so the first thing you do is you go to a coach and he says, listen, if you want to learn how to play tennis, anyone plays tennis? Uh, Oh gosh, what do English people play? Uh, Croquet? (laughs) (laughs) That's precisely the point. Tennis, uh, Holding your umbrella, perhaps. when you go, and you know it's not an easy thing. The skill of like, how do you keep those raindrops off your head? So when you go to your, let's go back to tennis. I think it's more effective. So you, when you go to the stomach, cloud will help you if you ever tuck a make it to Wimbledon. So you, when you first hold the tennis racket, your coach will say to you, make sure that you have a stiff wrist because if your wrist, it's like again, he, my coach wasn't a shivvish, so he said stiff wrist like you're shaking a your hand. When you've got far in the mirror, so you have a stiff. And why is no one laughing at my jokes? So now when you have a yeah. Americans laugh, that no So when you have a stiff wrist, so then you're able to return the ball with force. If you have a loose wrist, so then as the ball hits your rack, it knocks it back. So, so the coach says to you, now if he didn't tell that to you, so you'd spend a lot of time with a, with a loose wrist and eventually you figured it out yourself. So what you want to do is you want to learn to coach your medium so that they don't have to go through that process and you're only saving the time. So he says, listen, the first thing you do, the first thing you do when you approach a, t- a text, you have to remember pop. And they look at you and they say, <laughs> excuse me help and they look at you and they say structure pop and you say yes structure pop and they say "Mm, I've never heard that word before is it a Yiddish word so you say no no it's not a Yiddish word in fact it's a combination of three words and they say really you say yes three words and what are those three words those three words are the three fundamental pillars of textual understanding and they are structure structure pop is Powerful Questioning, and is Paradigm Shift. So, structure Pop, Structure, Powerful Questioning, and Paradigm Shift. Now, those three principles form the basis of any sound textual understanding. And then he looks at you with wide eyes, and you say, and you know why you need to remember that word? And he says, no, I say, because you have to be able to escape from the clutches of the ultimate enemy of the Talmudic student and then he looks at you, looking a little bit scared because he wasn't quite prepared for this and you're saying, and who is the ultimate enemy of the Talmudic student? and there's a pause and then he feels the fear rising in his heart and you say, the ultimate enemy of the Talmudic student is fakeness." <laughs> vagueness 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 the ultimate enemy of the Talmudic student is vagueness that means uh, here we can do the yeshivish part it's a ding in the the vagueness in yeshivish vagueness you say say contorted body movements (laughs) in the in the of the cover The, the more generally the more the more extreme the body movements the more vagueness is shrouded Vagueness means you can't clearly and concisely and coherently express to another exactly the point that you'd like to. So vagueness lurks in the background, ready to pounce at every moment. And what we have to do is find a way of defeating, stabbing, decimating, destroying, demolishing that enemy. So we have our three pillars of textual understanding. Structure, powerful questioning, and paradigm shift. How do they all work together? Structure. Sorry? In English. Oh, sorry. Let me introduce you to a new word. Paradigm. It's spelled paradigm. um, P-R-A-D-I-G-M. Paradigm shift. And I'll explain to you what that means. We'll speak about paradigms and then how to shift them. So, structure. Structure is as follows. That when you have a text, imagine you go to the... You open up... Your car breaks down on the highway in a... Theoretical world where you'd have a car and there would be highways. So your car your car breaks down on the highway and you open up the bonnet. Probably Americans call it something else. So I feel at least quite... There you go. You open up the bonnet and in it you see an engine. And you have a mahalach in how the car works. There's just like a few little parts of the engine you don't properly up. <laughs> like that big thing in the middle and a few of these tubes. But you, you you feel like you have episode of gosh on how the thing works. I strongly recommend that you don't try to fix it. <laughs> because until you've understood all the parts and how they function together, your chances of getting what's going on and where it went wrong are extremely slim. So how does a person think to begin learning a gomorrah when he doesn't understand the amount of parts in the sugya and the relationship between them? That's the engine. And if you don't understand how, the parts, wha- how many parts there are and how they work together, so you can't say anything, don't open your mouth, because it's guaranteed to be drawing battalion. So the first step in any text is you have to have the structure of the text absolutely clear, which means you have to know how many parts there are to the text, and the function, each part, plays within the text, and the order that they are placed in the text. How many parts are there? What is their function? And why were they listed in that order? That structure. And that's really, it's called, in modern educational parlance, it's referred to as lots. Lower order thinking skill. It's not a higher order thinking skill. It's a very low order thinking skill. It's called reading and comprehension, but just a very clear way of doing so. So you have to read through and you have to, we'll go again, this is just the introduction. I'm not telling you what to do yet. That's going to, it's like understanding a narrative. That's right. But with a very, very great level of dictok that you understand each, right. each sentence, each phrase, how it all fits together. And we're going to have to develop a vocabulary to name those parts and their functions, which we'll try to also express later on. So structure. Then you go into powerful questioning. Now, powerful questioning is a basic... Um, theme that epitomizes Jewish learning the reason is quite simple uh, Rav Hutne says this Torah is nimshal to mayim now mayim has a halachic exception all other drinks whether you are thirsty or not and you drink them so you make a brocha mayim is an exception to the rule you only make a brocha when you're thirsty because if you're not thirsty it's not because there's no involved in its drinking but if you've just been, your bus broke down 45 minutes away in the, the boiling heat of the uh, Jerusalem Sen and you've walked to Kolo and you've got there and your throat is part and you open up the fridge and there's a delicious ice-cold bottle of May Aden, which is mamish for you, May Aden. And you take the bottle out of the fridge and there's condensation formed on the outside and you take a crystal clear glass. I don't know where you tried one, but assuming It's only a marshal And you take you take the bottle of water and you pour it into the glass and you make a bracha and you drink down that liquid oh my gosh, what an unbelievable experience. But if you if you just happen to need to drink for hydration purposes and you're not thirsty at all and you're glugging down the water, so not a, not a pleasant experience. Part of. So what thirst is to water, questions are to Chochmah, to Torah. And if you don't have a question, so then the, the, it's it's bordering the the Torah that you're being that you're teaching is bordering on meaninglessness. It's it's so what? I can tell you a in in but But if you're not holding in 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 so it means nothing to you. It means absolutely because you never you never had a problem with it. So in order to develop. a first for knowledge. You have to know how to ask questions. In order to develop an understanding of the text, you have to engage in it. In order to engage in it, you have to come up with a list of powerful questions which will open up the text to you. They'll create a place inside of you to further develop your connection and understanding of what's going on in front of you. You don't ask questions, so you're, really, you're handicapped from the start. So you've got structure. You've got the structure down. Then you have to go into powerful questioning. And finally, we are going to paradigm shift. Paradigm shift is, okay, it's also idea, But it's, it's, it's the basic koch of every lambdan, and you see the big lambdan. They, they, they use this koch, they are so unbelievably flex, flexible with their brains, it's, it's, it's astonishing. It means as follows. There's a the basic hanokha, and the basic hanokha is every person has a basic hanokha. <laughs> Spoken in English, it means we are all brought up in a subjective environment. We see things through a very subjective um, filter, lens. We have experiences, we are exposed to certain things, which limit our depth and breadth of understanding. So essentially when we see something, we've got, let's say, ten models of how to understand that thing. Now, the natural, the natural inclination of a person is when he's given new knowledge, he tries to make it match with the knowledge that's already being modeled in his head. Those models are called paradigms. So you're used to thinking in terms of a, a fixed set of understanding. So when I teach you something new, your natural inclination is to say, oh, I know what you mean, it's this, and you'll make the tzushtel, even if it doesn't work. If it doesn't work, because you're not used to being shifting paradigms, so you're contorted and distorted until it does fit. So the first beginning of knowledge is called the paradigm shift. It means I have to identify the way I'm thinking and see how the information I'm being taught now is different to the way I'm thinking. My natural inclination is I can already fit it into something I already know. Ah, yeah, of course. But you have to be able to differentiate and say, no, this is something that I've never heard of in my life before. In order to do that, you have to go through what's called a paradigm shift and see things differently, creep out of your perceptual prisons, break out of your paradigm prisons and conceptual cages, right? Paradigm prisons. Sorry? Think Think out of the box. So the box, the box is your paradigm. So you have to be able to creep out of the box and see that there's a whole world outside there. So those are the three pillars of textual understanding. And now we will put them and apply them to the Mishnah uh, and specifically the Mishnah Zarek. So let me give you what's called, based on those three pillars, are you, are you still following me? I know it's, it's late in the day and it's hot. And yes, you still have sufficient mental power to comprehend it. Let's go into what's called the 353 Mishnah Analysis Technique. You can almost hear my American accent coming out. The 353 Mishnah Analysis Technique. So let's work on the 353 Mishnah Analysis Technique, which is essentially taking structure, Pop, structure, Powerful Questioning and Paradigm Shift, and applying it to Mishnah. I'll first tell you what the steps are, and then we'll see a real live Mishnah in Perikazirek and attempt to apply the principle. Structure. In the Mishnah, three. You have to do three things to begin with. You have to number. How many parts are there to the Mishnah? You have to label. What are the parts? And you have to order. And why were they cited in this order? Number, label, order. Three. Five. Five are five different areas of powerful questioning. Represented by the acronym LUIS. L-U-I-I-S. Standing for language, L, U, understanding, first I, illustration, second I, implication, last S, source, that means when you see a Mishnah, language, you have to look at the Mishnah, is there anything strange about the language? Are there anything excessive about the language? Are there yiturim? Are there things we could have done without? Is there strange usage? Why do we use this word in this, in this context? If we're talking about. Okay, we'll get on to. Okay, I don't want to jump ahead. I'll just tell you what it is. But. Zoeik, why doesn't it say. Okay, Peseda. So, is there anything strange about the Loshan? That's called Diuk, Diuk, Diktuk, 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 Loshan. Language. Understanding is, it really shouldn't come there, but it, for words, it makes a nice word worse. So, <laughs> so right, understanding really is, is, is getting the lameness of the way, what the mission is. In other words, um, the way you're saying English is you have to be able to um, take the particular and make a principle out of it. Or from the prat you have to find a claw. Because... The klal is the lambdus behind the prat. The Mishnayot, which is a fascinating point, we're written not in klalim but in pratim. They are klalim in but that's not the typifies of Mishnah. A, mishnayis. a mishnayis was written as a prat. And our koyach, we have to extrapolate from the prat a klal. Okay? So understanding means that you take the given idea, you isolate the lambdus components of what the case represents, you formulate a clow from it. Once you have the clow, you can reapply it to a thousand different circumstances. That's the power of a clow. When you have a prat, you can only say it in this particular case. When you have a clow, you can say it across the board. So, and, so you, language, you check the language. Then you chap, what's the clow of the Mishnah? But again, knowing that all, you should actually do that last. Then you go to illustration. Illustration means you have to have in your mind's eye a vivid picture down to the colour of the clothing of the people who are participating in the scene, you have to be able to see it. The minute that that picture is a little bit vague, unfortunately you fall into the hands of the ultimate Talmudic student who is... Well done, well done. What a warm crowd. Unbelievable. You're almost American in that openness. Beautiful. So... (laughs) so, (laughs) So you've got... Illustration, that means you have to create in your mind's eye a vivid picture of exactly what occurred so you can actually see it happening. Now, when you do this, and you do this all, this entire process takes place before you even dare look at the ratio or Adam Aforesh. You do not go near the Rishonim at the stage because you want to learn how to do what they do. Because remember, it's Gemara, it's a process, it's not a text, there's no guitar, there's no guitar. So you want to do what the Gemara does. So you don't want to look at the and you don't want to look at the Gemara. You want to do to the Mishnah what the Gemara does to the Mishnah. So by the time you finish with the Mishnah, you've been mechav to everything the Gemara is going to say and what the Rishonim are going to say. Aha! So now, Illustration: When you start to illustrate the case, when you illustrate the case, it will open up your eyes to what the Rishonim are talking about, what the Gemara talks about. Because the ones you have made a solid decision about what's occurring in the case, and you see that a Rishon takes a different seal, so you say, but gosh, why didn't you use my seal? And then you'll get depth of understanding. But we'll talk about that later and hopefully illustrate it. So illustration means you have to paint in your mind's eye a vivid picture. This is amazing. This is a very important cognitive skill, which we have an advantage over people who've been brought up with TV, assuming that you haven't, we have an advantage. People who've been brought up with TV, their power to imagine has been dulled. Because they've never had to think of an a image, of a scene, because it's been provided to them. But a the person that's always been given a text without pictures can create pictures in his mind. So it's a huge advantage that you're able to use your um, imagination, your koachatziur, to see things happening in your mind's eye. And you have to be very meduktak in exactly what occurs. So you've got language, you've got understanding, you've got illustration. Implication is really diuk. From what, it, what the Mishnah says, you can be meduktik what it doesn't say. If it says and then you have to be, again, when you're doing a diuk, you have to be very careful about the dreadful danger of the dumb diuk. We're using dam in the American sense of the word. Um, there's actually an Afrikaans word between, which is for the South Africans, the dreadful danger of the doftam deal. The point is that there's a dreadful danger of making a stupid deal. If if I say hazorek, so it may be a stupid deal to say hazorek vloey hameniyach, as we all see in the Mishnah. You have to have a deal. In other words, I say if it's light inside, does it mean it's dark outside? No, it's light inside and it's light outside. So whenever you make a deal, you have to know the rules of how to make a deal. But Language illustration, understanding illustration implication means making a good deal on the Mishnah, because Mishnah are artful for the doyukim as well. Good, and finally, it's the S that stands for source. Where in the Torah does this Mishnah come from? Is it doyraisa or is it derabbanan? If it's doyraisa, is it halacha Lemoshim or, 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 or does it come from a pasuk? If it comes from a pasuk, where does that pasuk appear? If it's a derabbanan, is it the gzaira? Is it a Takana? Okay? So those are the five areas of powerful questioning that you have to ask yourself. Then you get on to the final part that so we've done structure. We've done powerful questioning. Now it's going to paradigm shift. Paradigm shift for us um, can be represented by the QT phrase www.chidush.com. The www does not stand for, as you may have thought, the World Wide Web. In fact, it stands for three basic questions that you have to ask yourself in order to identify your pre-existing model and then move beyond it. W number one stands for what would I have thought without the Tanah coming along? W number two stands for and why would I have thought it? Why would I have thought it? And W number three stands for and why did the Tanah reject my Mahalachamachshod and my Tzvor to say the way he did? Now, obviously you'll say to me, but what happens if I would have thought the same as the Tanah? Well, Pshita, the, the, Michael, Marshmallow. The basic point of every mission is it's a Chiddush, which means you wouldn't have thought this way. And if you would have thought, that's problematic. The Gemara teaches us, this is just an aside. you'll we'll hopefully have time to explore it. The Gemara teaches us www.chiddush.com. Where's the Gemara teacher? to us? Remember, this is an interactive, very warm share. Where's the Gemara teaches us? www.chiddush.com. Cheater. What are you teaching me? I would have thought that way as well. Mahudatema. What would I have thought? Tells me what would I have thought. And often there's a come. Kumashmalon. No, that's www.shishakamahudatema. What would I have thought? Often why would I have thought? Kumashmalon. That's why the Tanda rejects it. So all I'm doing is I'm cutesifying what the Gumar does anyway. Good? So you've got language, understanding, illustration, implication, source, You've got, what would I have thought, why would I have thought it, and why did it rejected? And to begin with, you've got number, label, order. Are you all following me? So now, you have a tool set to approach a Mishnah. So when you go to Mishnah and you say, gosh, what should I do when I open up a Mishnah? What should I do first? What should I do second? What should I do third? You now know, well, first of all, get rid of and destroy vagueness! How should you do that? get it clear, structure, number, label, order, then engage in language, understanding, illustration, and implication source. Then, what would I have thought? Why would I have thought it? And why does the Tanya reject what we have thought? And at this point in time, I have successfully avoided and actually learning some Taya and run out of time. So, hopefully, we can continue next week. In the interim, I strongly advise you, I think it's very good that we actually did run out of time and I didn't have a chance to do this to the Mishnah, which is the next step. Why don't you do it to the Mishnah in your own time? Or why don't you do it to a Mishnah that you're learning? And I'm pretty certain if you take a Mishnah that, you, that you've never learned before and you haven't seen what the Gemara says and you apply this method I'll bet No, maybe I won't bet but I'll be relatively certain that the chances of you being to the Shaka and of the Gemara are extremely high. And if that's true, it means we've succeeded in gaining from the Talmud what it wants to teach us. Okay, gentlemen? um, Again, this is part one in a five-part series, so there's more to come. Shkoreach.